Hey, mashups, it's Rebecca. So we talked to Hassan Minaj in the fall, and, well, a lot has happened since, as you know, uh, particularly in a little place called Washington, D.C. And Hassan recently actually hosted the White House Correspondents' Dinner there, and his comedy special Homecoming King just came out on Netflix, so we thought it was a good time to share the conversation again. Enjoy. KP. KPC. News. Information. Culture. KPCC. California Sensibility. I gotta testify. Come up in the spot looking extra fly. For the day I die, I'm a test guy. Hey, I'm Amy Choi. And I'm Rebecca Lair, and we are the Mashup Americans. Guys, we have a new little mashup to welcome to the world. Rebecca is recording this podcast at home with her brand new baby, Clara, in her arms. Clara's amazing. Rebecca, how do you feel? Well, she's a bit of a snorer, so you may hear, oh, she might hear, got a little cough there. <laughs> you just had a baby, and you're you're leaning in pretty hard right now. It's pretty awesome, that's- and it really feels like I'm connecting to all that's around me. You that's know? really amazing. Well, I think it's something, I mean, we've heard from so many of our guests, and I would say this is also true for me personally, is that like becoming a parent, it anchors you in your identity to to our physical place and to, our, to being American in a way that maybe we weren't before. And, right. You know, like you're only you're only a couple of weeks into it. But like, do, do you see that being part of your experience as well? Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. I live now in the neighborhood that I grew up in or next door. And um, and then I realized my dad grew up in this neighborhood. And so this person is the third generation to grow up in this neighborhood. And but to go from an immigrant family to like now being like OG, mm-hmm. it's like I, how quickly that happens. It's like, oh, no, she's legit. Like, you can't mess with her. She's from Los Feliz. You know, like, it's like she was born in the same hospital my dad was born in. Now it's moved places. But, like, there's just there's a connective tissue that, like, happened, like, within a generation. And that is really kind of it's pretty profound, I think, like how you can root yourself. You know? Yeah, it's. I mean, I think that's so beautiful. I have chosen one aspect of her future already. She's gonna be one of our mashup superpower Avengers. Ooh, totally. totally. Well, so our upcoming guest on the show had this great idea, which is an Avengers team, basically, of mashups. And he's going to be the leader, Hassan Minaj, our very favorite Daily Show correspondent. Guys, I did this interview while Rebecca was having a baby, so that's why she wasn't there. Remember when he interviewed Justin Trudeau? It's the Daily Show versus Justin Trudeau. Sorry, not sorry. Basically, I'm going to present you a series of things Canada's responsible for, and this is just an open opportunity for you to apologize for said things uh, that you were either sorry for or not sorry. Drake the Rapper. Not not sorry at all. Drake on Degrassi. Not sorry at all. Degrassi was a great show. This goatee. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, that was, that, there was just no call for that. I looked like my own evil twin. Yeah, this is, it, it was, was it was November. Yeah, so it was for prostate cancer, but. Yeah, November's that. responsible for this, but whatever's going on in this thing. I said I was sorry. Oh, Dreamboat Trudeau. Dreamboat Trudeau. Dream Trudeau. Dreamboats in a row. Hello. <laughs> it's so good. Hazan is also the creator and star of Homecoming King, which is his one-man show about the story of what he calls New Brown America, which is basically mashup America. He talks about his family's immigrant experience, his first love, how you never need anybody to co-sign for the American dream. And by the way, that first love of his, white girl from Davis, California, 
definitely ended up marrying a brown dude. Like a 25 letter last name, which really got me laughing. Oh my God, it was so, <laughs> so good. We also got to talking about how he got fired from every job he's ever had, his mashup guilt, and how he remains an eternal optimist. Also why <laughs> biryani can actually be a a form of terrorism (laughs) rice terrorism (laughs) okay so with that on to Hassan gotta testify come up in the spot looking extra fly for the day I die I'ma test this guy now let's take him Hassan Minaj how do you mash up I think my sort of mashed up identity is I am Indian American Muslim First generation, grew up in Davis, California, which is a very, very Caucasian place. And then I lived in San Francisco for some years. Then I lived in Los Angeles. And then now I live in New York City. A lot of mashies. A lot of I'm mashing it up. Um, What is your Starbucks name? Starbucks name? Sean. Stop it. It's for real. I just keep it simple. (laughs) When did you land on Sean? Growing up, I used to have to, like, introduce myself. And if you're going to pronounce my name correctly... Talk about mashup. I've had to deal with concessions or negotiations with the dominant culture. So the way you would pronounce my name is Hassan Minhaj. That's like what my parents have called me. That's like that's like the way you would pronounce it in my cultural part of South Asia, where I'm from, right? When I would go to school and I would say, hey, my name's Hassan. How are you? They'd be like, Hassan. I'm like, jeez. Ah, All right. No, Hassan, like. And I realized the way vowels and consonants are pronounced in the English language, it makes certain names from the South Asian subcontinent, very difficult to pronounce. So Asif is like very easy for me to pronounce. But when people read read it on paper, they go, oh, Asif. So you're like, okay, you know, Hassan is, an, is a Muslim name. So there's a lot of like African-American Muslims that go by Hassan. And then if you're from the, like the Arabian part of the world, the Middle Eastern part of the world, it's more of like a, their A's are more of a, it's more like that. So it's like Hassan, like that's how they would pronounce my name. So for me, I split the difference and I was like, Hassan, because there is still a contingency of people that go by the name H-A-S-A-N and pronounce it that way. So I was like, okay, I can live with that, but I can't do Hassan (laughs) and I can't do Sahan. And then I remember in school, sometimes people would be like, oh, cool, Sean. And so like they would just get it so wrong. And so as almost like an inside joke, me and my friends growing up would be like, hey, Sean, like it's like so it's so like laughably funny to us. So when I go to Starbucks, I go. Just Sean. Sean. Yeah. Um, what do you spend money on that your parents never would? Sneakers. What's your favorite pair? To me, the Air Jordan 3 or the Air Jordan 1. I think there's a real connection here, particularly among Asians. Yeah. And with their affinity to hip-hop and basketball. Correct. What is it for you? For me, what I love about hip-hop, it is really an immigrant story. It's you have this perception of me, and it's wrong. You think I won't amount to anything, and you're wrong. I'm somebody now. What are you going to say about it now? And no matter what systems you put in front of me, I'm going to get mine. Mm-hmm. Those like four tenets, oh man, like that gets you through life. Like it's gotten me through being bullied on the bus. It's gotten me through like, you know, breakups. It's gotten me through racial slurs. It's gotten me through people saying, you know, you you can't do this thing because you are you look this way or you're from this t- background. I see all of that in Biggie's music or in Tupac's music or and stuff like that. I don't see that in Taylor Swift's music. Right. It's hard to see things in Taylor Swift's music. No, I mean, <laughs> you can see breakups and stuff like that and love and stuff like that. But, like, 
and I do see that, but it's it's not something I want to listen to at like nine o'clock in the morning to like get me going. Right. I love Adele. I think Adele is great. It's just not the driver to get me through life. Right. I see a, a deep connective thread between many of your works and also your public appearances, which is Harry Potter. Yes. I would like to know, in the world today, who's Voldemort? Voldemort, to me, is systemic racism. Mm. The huge debate around the whole Kaepernick issue was just like, the reason why that I think that was like the center of the tornado regarding the race relations and patriotism debate, the reason why it was like right smack dab in the center was he was disrupting America's wine and circus. For three hours a week, we can just turn our brains off and be like, Let's just watch some guys get brain injuries. He's interrupting that and being like, this is what my life is like the other six and a half days of my week. And people are like, stop it. Stop doing that. That's why Kate Upton tweeted that dumb shit. And like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? I'm just like, don't do that. Like, that's so unpatriotic. Stop it. Like, what was really amazing to me is that to take it back to the Harry Potter thing, what he's basically saying is by taking a knee, he's saying this country has real problems. And the reason why I make the the Harry Potter analogy is books one through four, Harry is fighting literally to go, yo, (laughs) systemic racism, a.k.a. Voldemort is real. And the powers that be are like, nah, son, it's not. (laughs) They make him carve that shit into his arm. I shall not say systemic racism exists. Right. And they're like, it's not, it's not, it's not. And it isn't until like a Trump or a Brexit happens that it's like. Can we just oh, say no. it existed? <laughs> then there was a tipping point, and then the wizarding universe was like, all right, all right, it exists. If you guys love the stories we share, sign up for our newsletter at mashupamericans.com slash newsletter. Every Saturday morning, you'll get our roundup of mashup news from around the world delivered right to you. It'll make you think, laugh, and have your thoughts provoked. Could there be a better way to wake up on the weekend? Mm, we think not. So do it. MashupAmericans.com slash newsletter. What is your parents' coming to America story? What's your family's coming to America story? I know it's very complicated. Yeah. You talk about it a little bit in your current show, show yeah. Homecoming King. My dad had finished his PhD in chemistry. His sister had moved to Davis, actually, Sacramento or Davis, and basically was like, hey, you should come to the States. Like, it's awesome here. Sacramento's really cool. There's an Orange Julius. Like, it's really awesome. You should come here. <laughs> Who doesn't love Orange And my Julius? dad, she, she actually sponsored my dad, which is, like, pretty incredible. And he comes over here, and he, he's living here, and then he's like, I should, I should get married. Like, I should get married now. And he goes back to Aligarh, where my family's from, and marries my mom. They come here to the States, and they have me, which is just really wild. Just the way all the events come together, that like I was born here, I got mm-hmm. to benefit from that, I become an American citizen, it's huge, and I'm hyper aware of that, given the fact that like I go back and I visit cousins in Delhi and Aligarh, which is wild because you get to literally see how my life would have been. Mm-hmm. My dad's the only son from his entire family that made it here. I'm his only son, so I'm really like the Simba to his Mufasa. Do you ever feel guilty? Yes. What do you feel like guiltiest about? I feel guilty in the variable that I don't have control over, which is just the way the numbers panned out. Like, right. The fact ooh, that you were just, by coincidence, by coincidence, landed here. Yeah. 
does the guilt drive you in a way that you think pushes your ambition? Yeah, or... for sure. For sure. I definitely see a lot of the things that we had to sort of go through. I talk about it in the show, you know, like meeting my sister. I was eight. My sister was four. She comes over to the States. We kind of become reunited as a family. That whole story of us. Because your sister and your mom were in India. Yeah, yeah. My mom was then in India. And then, you know, it was a slow process for us to all to get together in Davis. She had to, then she went from India. Then she had to live in New York, do residency. Then she had to do residency in Stockton. Then she had to move to Davis. This was like a really long mm-hmm. process just for us to get together. My younger sister, she grew up in Ellegar until she was four, and then she comes over, and we all sort of become united as a family. All of these things, I think I didn't realize this until much later, really shaped the way I basically, like, live in the world and attack every day where I'm just like, hey, like, it's always going to be that struggle of creating your narrative and us becoming a family. And that, like, really informed who Mm -hmm. I am and just the purpose that I put in my life. Like, it's like hey you're lucky man like yeah. these these things that are n- norms for other people like just like the fact that like you got to grow up with your siblings or you got to grow up and be around your family mm-hmm. all the time under one house household roof that's not a guaranteed thing right and that shouldn't be taken for granted and then also the second layer to that sort of guilt cake is like look i put my parents through a lot doing the career stuff and all this stuff like they saw how smart and capable I was. And then I went to the craps table and I rolled comedian. And the thing is, is like my stubbornness, I have Indian roots, but American stubbornness. And that's too much for them to deal with in this generation. Yeah. And they watched me get fired from every single job I had, even when I was trying to pay rent. They saw me get fired from Safeway. Shout outs to Safeway. They saw me get fired from Office Max. They saw me get <laughs> fired from the tech job. I got fired from every job because I just couldn't do it. Yeah. I just couldn't. If I couldn't put my heart into it, I just couldn't fake it. And right. that put them through so much because they were like, you get good grades. You're a smart kid. Right. You know. What are you doing? What are you doing? And as the credits come to an end, I look at the exit sign, and he's standing there, old man, bucket hat. And I'm like, holy shit, it's Norman Lear. All the comedians stand up on their feet. They're like, oh, the Jedi walks amongst Padawan. And we're like, Norman, 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 standing up. He walks to the front of the audience, and he grabs the microphone from my hand. He's like, son, let's do a Q&A right now. Let's do it, me and you. I sit down, I'm like, yeah, let's do it. I sit down, I start nerding out about comedy with him. And he goes, hey, stop, son, stop. Hassan, where's your dad? And I go, oh, um, yeah, Mr. Lear, my dad's right there. And dad's sitting there, he's like this. He's like, mm. <laughs> he grabs a microphone from me and he goes, Mr. Minaj, you know, I've been working with your son and he's really trying. He really is trying. Don't let him be a lawyer. (laughs) Let him do comedy. Let him change the world. And then again, like I would always while I would like always like lead with my heart. I remember when the SCOTUS decision happened, I I did this letter with Reza Aslan. I penned this open letter to the Muslim community saying we need to publicly support this decision that honors gay marriage. Mm -hmm. And again, my parents are like, that's fine. Just do it secretively. (laughs) Why do you have to just put it out there and be like, this is bullshit. Like we need to publicly endorse all civil liberties being honored. They're like, that's fine. Just do it behind closed doors. And I just (laughs) don't put your name on it. I know. I just couldn't be that guy. I couldn't be another like silent voice on Facebook when like literally history is changing around us. Right. Do you believe it's that it's your role as a comedian or as a public figure, you know, to speak truth to power? And what role does comedy have in general in doing that? 
in terms of speaking truth to power, like satire is really, really special in that way because it's under the guise of like, it's just a joke. What I found amazing was your speech at the Congressional Correspondence Correspondence Center. Center, And that was like, doink, everybody (laughs) has to like actually look at you and they're like, "Hmm." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we look to you guys as our leaders. And ultimately it comes down to money and influence. And right now, since 1998, the NRA has given $3.7 million to Congress. There are 294 sitting members of Congress that have accepted contributions from the NRA, and that doesn't even include the millions of dollars from outside lobbying. If we raise $4 million, would you guys take that to save lives? And is is this what you want your legacy to be? That you were a could-have-done-something Congress, but you didn't because of outside lobbying? That you were complicit in the deaths of thousands of Americans? And look, I, I know being a member of Congress is hard. You gotta placate your base, you gotta look out for re-election, you gotta answer to lobbyists. But please persevere because our thoughts and prayers are with you. Good night. Yeah. How did you make the choice to do that? It's one of those rare opportunities where on our show, we do speak, we do say stuff, mm-hmm. but we kind of are speaking to our base. We're preaching to the choir. Right. So it's like the RTs and the reviews and the reposts are going to just come from people that are already within our own community that agree with what we're saying. This was a rare opportunity that, you know, I'm fans of all the other shows, of Trevor, of Sam, of Oliver. I got to say this to their face. Right. We all have our platforms, but very rarely do you get to actually say it to Mitch McConnell's face or Trey Gowdy's face. So I was like, if I don't take this opportunity, I would be remiss. It would I, it would just be a huge, it would be a huge letdown. And then I also be became like cognizant and aware of the fact that I'm like I don't want to crush for them like me huh. me making them laugh and them being like you're really good that would be so sad huh. to be the life of their party that would suck yeah. and and by the way they never invite you back anyways right. so it's like just say what you're going to say right i was like all right now that doesn't i'm not i don't want to say that i wasn't nervous i was nervous and it was really really nerve-wracking because the whole night they were all giving each other awards you don't see this in the clip that everybody was getting awards everybody was congratulating everybody i was the keynote of the night so for like two and a half hours i had to watch essentially like what was like a circle jerk and then be like okay now i gotta go up there and say this stuff and then you have to be like okay i'm gonna basically not be that fun Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I, I literally. You guys have a job to do. Yeah, like focus on that. We're three. Like Orlando was literally seventy-two hours ago, and we're all just gonna like not talk about gun control. What? And so yeah, it was kind of crazy. I said what I said, and then I looked over at my wife, and I was like, "We gotta get the fuck out." Of here. <laughs> and we literally in our suits and in her gown. I was in like my tux, and she was in her gown. We ran to the Amtrak station in DC and took the midnight Acela out. When people are like, oh, you really told them. I was like, no, I ran. I did what I did. You're like, these brown people got to go. Yeah, yeah, And then I immediately shat my pants and I was like, let's get out of here. Do you remember the first time you became interested in politics? probably like my sophomore year when 9-11 happened. And then I sort of got thrust into this conversation of like Islamophobia and our foreign policy. And I I sort of just got really into this 
idea, I really had to struggle with this idea of W.E.B. Du Bois talked about this and he talked about with African-Americans, the dual narrative. Mm -hmm. That's where I really started to struggle with that, where it's like, yo, I love America. America's great. Like it gave me Nintendo 64 and freeways and and Starbucks and Wi-Fi and like flushing toilets, track housing and flushing Mm -hmm. toilets, like these amazing things that are just like standard fare from Davis to Iowa to New York. That's amazing. There is no just like part of the United States where there are no freeways and you're just pooping in holes. That's, that, doesn't, that doesn't exist. Right. That's incredible. I don't take that for granted. At the same time, it's really tough for me to be like, this place that's given me incredible joy, the cognitive narrative around our role in the world is basically, in terms of our foreign policy, the last 31 years that I've been alive on this earth has been kind of centered around bombing or drone striking brown countries. Mm-hmm. It's been really hard for me to see both of those things go on. Mm-hmm. I've had to sort of, figure out, well, what's my place in all of this? Well, especially when the event that triggers that in-depth line of thinking is one that also triggers an immense amount of hatred towards people like you. Yes. Yeah. So grappling with that and being like, whoa, hold up. Yeah. I thought we were here in this together. Yeah. And it's like, nah. It was a defining moment. I remember September 12th, like the day after my dad sort of held this like group meeting at the table and was like, all right, Hassan, whatever you do, don't tell people you're Muslim and don't talk about politics. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm just going to hide it, dad. Like, obviously it's not clear through my name and like my skin color. But I talk about this briefly in the show that that night there was also these kids like basically like smashed the windows on our car. There's a kind of like a hate crime. And I ran out and um, I saw like me and dad and we ran outside to the driveway and all the windows on the car were smashed. And like I reached in and I, I I saw that they had opened my backpack, so I tried to pull out my backpack and all this like a piece of glass got caught in my arm and it's like blood is gushing down my arm and I remember being so like livid because these kids had called our house and prank called us and then they had smashed our windows. So I was running up and down the cul-de-sac like looking for these kids and the and the bushes and the trees like they're they're watching us because they just called us and then they smashed in these windows and I looked into the street and my dad was just like sweeping glass out of the road. Like he worked at like a hate crime barber shop, you know, it's just like, <laughs> oh man, we got customers. We got to get rid of this glass. Like he's like barefoot in his pajamas, like sweeping. That way people, the neighbors couldn't see. He didn't want the neighbors to see. Right. And I remember looking at him and be like, dad, why aren't you mad? Like, why aren't you upset? And my dad in like, in Hindi was like, Hassan, ye cheese tohote or ye cheese hoinge. Like these things happen and these things will continue to happen. That's the price we pay for being here. And that's when I really realized, I was like, oh, we're just from two different generations. Like, my dad is from the generation where he feels like if you come to America, you pay, you pay an American dream tax, you're going to endure some racism, and if it doesn't cost you your life, well, you lucked out. Mm-hmm. And then I'm from the generation where I'm like, I actually have a little bit of entitlement. I'm like, dude, I was born here. Like, I don't deserve this. Like, I saw this. I, I, I studied this in honors gov. It says all men are created equal, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Like, we don't deserve this. Like, this is not happening to our neighbors. Like, why is this happening to us? And I I constantly, my pendulum swings between those two. There's right. some days where I'm like, my dad, I just put my head down and go. And there's other days where I'm like, no, I got to, like, speak up. You have a line in your show where you talk about, you know, there was a point where you wished that you were white. Correct. Wish that you could grow up and be white. Do you remember when that ended? I struggled with it for a long time. It kept evolving. It wasn't like, oh, I wish I was white. It, it, it became like, I wish I was accepted. And that's the thing. It mm. wasn't one of those things that I say it in the show. It's like, it wasn't that I hate, hated melanin. I like melanin. I don't, I don't get sunburnt. Shout outs to melanin. But the questions that I get asked over the course of my life, those chip away at you, right? And 
you're forced to either have thick skin and overcome that, or sometimes you'll succumb to that and you'll define your new reality based on what those people say. It's something I still work on to this day. I don't wish I was someone else, but I do I do hope that like my shoulders are broader to bear that burden and I can just my my quads and my legs can handle pushing up. Honestly, like just give me the strength to break through it. Does your anger does that drive you, do you think? I think sometimes and that's not good. What keeps you hopeful? Cuz I think optimism is actually the larger thread yeah. in your work. I especially tr- now and especially in the work in the past yeah. leading up to November 8th. I think um I try to be an angry optimist. And what I mean by that is like being like I'm upset by the current state of what's happening in this country and in the world, but I am incredibly optimistic in my position in the world, specifically in this country. And I I am hyper aware of the potential that this country has. You know, to counter all what the Trump supporters say, that's what makes America great. It's not its rigidity, it's it's its flexibility and ability to change. Mm-hmm. That's what we need to take advantage of while while we're still an amazing country. Right. So I'm an angry optimist. I'm like, look, things aren't good. We there's tremendous room for improvement. That being said, the place where it's possible is here. These next whatever 20, 30, 40, 50 years that I'm gonna be alive, hopefully, I gotta spend it trying to move the needle forward just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you need to, as you get more and more and more famous? Yeah. Repping one identity over the other? Oof. It gets really complicated because, man, there's times where it's like I want to rep. And there's also times where I feel like I don't want to just be confined to one thing. Mm-hmm. Like there's 7.6 billion people in the world. I don't want to just be connected even if it's to 1.6 or to 2 billion Indians or whatever it is. My buddy Azar Rahman is this really funny comedian out of Chicago. He's always reminded me of this like great poem. He's like, you're the bird. You are not the cage. Again, my pendulum swings between those two. There's some times where I'm just a bird. And it's like, dude, I can be anything I want to be. I I can do it. I feel it in my heart. And then I read the YouTube comments that say, they'll never be a brown late night television host. Or like, oh, it'd be great if you did it up. But that couldn't happen because blah, 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 blah. And then I feel confined by the cage. Right. Even sometimes I deal with that with my own community. They're Mm -hmm. just like, you can't say that. So I, I, I swivel between the two, and I hope I can always just be the, the bird. I think you make a beautiful bird. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Next up on our podcast is world-class design thinker, the legendary John Maida, who is third-generation Japanese on his mom's side and first-generation Japanese on his dad's. We talk about how our mashiness informs everything we do and interact with. Subscribe at iTunes.com slash mashup. I found that doubling down on your tribe too much there's stuff even within our tribes that's super fucked up. Totally. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it's like to what extent are you just like you're like, yeah, India till I die. It's like, cool, Hindustan Hamara. But then also, like, <laughs> there's been some ugly shit in our country. Like, the caste system is super fucked up. Mm-hmm. And it's still super prevalent in politics in India. The Hindu Nationalist Party is a thing that exists. That yeah, it's like, And they're terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yo, that's fucked up. If I'm a bad Desi for, like, talking about that, so be it. And that, again, that's that, that pendulum of, like, yo, I'm proud. I love Bollywood movies. I love Shah Rukh Khan. I love our culture. I love certain things about it. I love respecting our parents. I, all, blah, blah, blah. 
But then this thing, no, I don't respect that. Right. And I've tried to live my life where I've kind of had, I've treated it like biryani, where I move the good stuff towards me, and then I push the weird shit to the side. Right. Because there's some weird stuff in biryani, too. There's, like, weird little black balls, like, <laughs> acorns and shit. Like, there's, like, weird Isn't stuff. like the cardamom? Yeah. And I'm, like, <laughs> and then you eat it, and you're, like, ah. Like, yeah. That's rice terrorism. You're just, like, I didn't want that. And so, you, anyways, you push that weird stuff to the side. That's the way I've... I've tried to lead all of my identities. Like uh-huh. I'm going to pull, I'm going to siphon the good stuff and then almost like a French press, keep the weird, right. ugly coffee grounds of these other things out. And that hopefully the strain of what I'm brewing in my body is the best, the best thing of all these mashed right. up cultures. Have you ever felt like this? Have you ever felt confined by the current time that you live in? This sounds so, I, I sound like I'm high right now. But what I mean by that is like, what I was, did you take before you came <laughs> yeah. to the studio? <laughs> no, I'm thinking about this all the time. Like, younger artists sometimes ask me for advice, and I feel so flattered when they're just like, "What should I do?" And in addition to the the regular stuff of like, I was like, write from your heart and work really hard. The third thing I always tell them is like, have audacity, man. Mm-hmm. Have the audacity to be like, dude, I want the whole pie. I don't want just a piece of it. Have the audacity to be Zayn Malik. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right, Zane. You go for it. Zane's like, I'm going to be the hottest dude in One Direction. I'm going to be the Justin Timberlake. I'm going to leave and go solo. I'm going to date the model. I'm going to I'm going to be that guy. Mm -hmm. And have the best hair. And have the best hair. And be like, I'm going to be that dude. And I'm. I don't. I don't care that my name is Zane Malik. Right. Like, do you know what I mean? He just has that audacity. And when I see him. I'm just like, I love you, Zane. <laughs> like, you're well, just then, walking in your greatness. Yeah, no, I mean, the ability to redefine what your reality is. Yeah. So if you feel confined by the time that you're in, and I totally hear you, I would say I grew up, I'm a little bit older than you, Yeah. in a time when, like, Asians were just starting to find their voice yeah. as as a political community, as Americans, yeah. and, like, leaning more on that side of the hyphen than the other, yeah. where it became people were fighting against the model minority stereotype instead of embracing it in some way or aligning with it in some way so you know that question of advice you know when people ask me for i'm like just remember that you're a whole person which i don't think you know i'm 37 yeah it was only like in the past few years when i felt like that was acceptable i know can i ask you this too it's 2016 why haven't we all linked up like why haven't the latinos the east asians the south asians like why have we not linked up and formed Basically, the brown and beige Avengers. How has that not happened um, in like a national front yet? Drive. Like, I hope that starts to happen. Like, again, like knowing our value and our worth, there still has been this like, we're just little chunks of the graph. Mm-hmm. And I wish those parts of the little graph, not to get all math nerdy, but like just like reach out like arms and then go like, yo, we're the majority. We are. Isn't that wild? Welcome to Mashup America. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Hassan. Thank you. This was, that was amazing. It was really fun. That was Hassan Minaj, our favorite correspondent for The Daily Show and star of Homecoming King, his one-man show that tells the story of new brown America. That's our America, guys. <laughs> you can still buy tickets for select cities now and follow Hassan on all the socials at Hassan Minaj. That's M-I-N-H-A-J. No relation to Nikki. Can you imagine if Hassan and Nikki were actually related? Like, what would family reunions be like? Uh, they would be dope as 
F. Um, <laughs> but I think there would probably be a lot of rice dishes. Mm -hmm. Wait, hold, wait, 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 wait. The internet is telling me that Nicki Minaj's favorite food is curry chicken and roti. What? We got that Trinidadian and Indian food mashup. <laughs> oh. Well, so they're basically cousins. They are cousins, they're family. They're definitely cousins. Okay, cuz, well, we consider both of them and all of you, our listeners, part of the mashup family. And we wanna hear from you. We're celebrating the one year anniversary of our podcast. <gasps> Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday Happy to birthday. us. Happy birthday. And we want your voices on air. So um, record a voice memo on your phone and tell us how you mash up and what the show means to you. And email it to yo at mashupamericans.com. We will be listening. We will wait so patiently for those. Well, not that patiently. Nah, we're not patient. That's not really what we're good at. <laughs> we're good at other things. Not so much the yep. being patient. Uh, <laughs> the Mashup Americans are me, Amy Choi. And me, Rebecca Lair. Our producer today was Jocelyn Gonzalez. Our show is produced by American Public Media and Southern California Public Radio, KPCC. We're also supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts on the web at arts.dev. Later. Bye-bye. Yes, I did. So I packed it up and brought it back to the crib. Just a little something, show you how we live. Everybody wants.